Hi, I'm John Chambers, partner in Corporate Innovation at IE and host of The Corporate Innovator, a podcast that gives you direct access to visionary corporate leaders, makers and advisors to level up your innovation game. The Corporate Innovator is produced by IE, Australia's largest independent innovation company. We work with corporate partners to develop, design and deliver transformative ideas to market. Learn more at ie.com.au. Today's guest is Cynthia Whelan. Cynthia has a unique top table journey from being the managing director of Barclays Australia to joining Telstra and ending up as group executive leading a whole new business pipeline there. Cynthia is now heading up strategy and innovation at ASX20 company Centre Group. Today I sit down with her on a sunny Sydney day at Centre Group HQ to discuss the nuts and bolts of innovating for growth, what it takes to be a great leader and how to manage an ambidextrous organisation while optimising your core particularly when you need to manage the interests of executive management and the board. Cynthia and I are both big believers in unlocking the capacity of ideas across an entire organisation, and you'll hear more on that later on. But for now, let's jump in. Cynthia, thank you for joining us. This is a really tough time in some ways for corporates. There's, there's been a tightening of risk controls in the environment, um, some headwinds for potentially for growth and innovation occurring, but I think it's really important that companies are facing into it. Uh, we've talked a lot about how companies need to be ambidextrous, have this yeah. ability to grow their core, manage their core, but be searching, exploring, systematically finding new ways of growing, finding the future. How do companies do that? What is the, the secret source to setting yourself up to be ambidextrous? Thank you. It's a really good question. And I think if I had the answer, then (laughs) everyone would be successful. I think it's critically important that companies can, I talk about being able to walk and chew gum at the same time. So as Mm. you say, being ambidextrous, being able to exploit your core business, but Mm. explore opportunities for the future. And it's a really tough endeavor for companies, particularly companies that are successful and Mm. that have developed that success by being known for being really good at one or two things. But before you even start to talk about what does being ambidextrous mean and what is, how do you exploit growth and so forth, I think it's really important for companies, both their executive teams and also their boards, to have a really clear conversation about what business are we actually in, what is our core business and why have we been successful in our core business? And and I I like to think about that from the perspective of what are our strategic differentiators. You, You really need to be very clear and aligned on what are we good at? What actually makes us successful in our core business? And if everyone's aligned on what is our core business and what's made us successful, then you can have a conversation about the future and about, you know, that question of whether what's got you to the point that you're in today, is that going to actually get you to where you want to go in the future? And if you know what your strategic differentiators are, are they things that are about to be disrupted or are they things that you can leverage into other growth areas? So I think, unfortunately, I do think some companies launch into this idea of we need to be ambidextrous, we need to grow, we need to look for new revenue, but they actually haven't done that first bit of saying, what actually are we good at and why are we good in our core business? Mm. It's, the, it's the strategic work. For what, is, what is the strategy of your core and then ultimately what is the strategy of your growth? It's the strategic work, but it's also about getting alignment because one thing I've certainly learnt over the years of being in Telstra and now being here at Centre Group is it's really important to have an alignment between the executives and the board and then between the executives and the board together that they all need to be aligned. And the reason I say that's, I believe that's really important is because to run as an ambidextrous organisation, you have to have one combined leadership team, the board and the executive, 
who are all going in the same direction. You might then have executives that are responsible for really exploiting today's core business and others who are responsible for exploring the future. But at a leadership level, you've got to be aligned and you've got to be able to do both. Hence the idea that you need to be ambidextrous. Mm. Many organisations I talk to, some will carve off innovation or growth and put it somewhere. Others will say it should be everywhere. And the challenge that often leads to is it kind of is everywhere and nowhere at once. There's no organised principle or way of governing end-to-end. I love your reflections on those challenges of where and how does innovation or growth find its way into the organisation. That's one of the really big questions that you have to grapple with. And again, I don't think that there is a right answer. I've seen it done both ways in different organisations. And I think it's really compelling. Often companies and executive teams launch into the idea of growth by saying, we want it to be different to what we're doing today. And Mm. we know we need to get this different culture, we need different capabilities, we want to do new and different things. So let's get new people in, let's put them in a bunker somewhere Mm. and we're going to call them innovation and growth and we're just going to let them be fabulous. And then once they're really successful, then we'll bring them back in. Now, in my experience, I certainly subscribed to that view early on. I thought, yeah, that makes sense. You know, you want to give them independence and let them flourish. The challenge I've learned in my experience around that is twofold. One is that if you've done the strategy work up front and if you've been really clear about what your strategic differentiators or your strategic assets are, then your growth businesses or your new revenue streams should try and leverage them. So if you have them too far away from the business that you're in today and and the work that's going on today, they can't take advantage of them, they can't leverage them, they can't really exploit them. Probably the more damaging impact of that structure, I think, though, is that you set up, you know, two streams. You set up two machines. And what ends up happening is two things. One, the centrifugal force of the core is really strong and everything gets dragged towards the core. But the second thing is you can, you're at risk of creating a them and us culture. And a them and us culture is is never really a a particularly effective culture for an organisation. And it's hard particularly, as you said, when Mm. companies are facing into headwinds, it's really hard to have the bulk of your employee base and your business being run by people who think they've got all the hard work to do. And then you've got another cohort of people who are off in another location allowed to have a license to do really funky stuff. Unfortunately, you will create tension between those two parts of the business. The final thing I'd add to that, though, is I believe that everybody is inherently innovative and often we we shunt or we stunt innovation. I'm inclined to say, rather than give someone or a team the responsibility for being innovative, why not say to everybody, innovation is a natural capability that you've actually got and you can be innovative around whatever it is that you're doing. The degrees of innovation will vary depending on your responsibility, but I I believe it's everybody's role to do it. So I think the idea of taking a team away and separating them is probably more damaging than really looking at your entire workforce and harnessing the innovation that's in your entire workforce. Mm. So kind of growth strategy, strategy, growth strategy, culture and where and how yeah. is super critical. Then if we think about how does it get done in the organisation, what? how do you think about that? How do you put structure around this, bring ideas, bring innovation yeah. from the genesis to an outcome? Yeah, how do you do that? Well, there's a couple of big buckets in the question you've just asked that, I, that I'll go to. One of them is around structure and I don't I don't mean where do you house the people but more around 
remembering that if you've got an aligned leadership team who are all responsible for both the business today and the future of the company, so the core business and the the new growth businesses, if all the executives are responsible for that, then there is a question about how do you actually govern and manage the core business versus the growth business. And I think it is absolutely the case that you need to have a, a very transparent conversation with your executive team and you know, the support parts of the business around how are we going to let these businesses coexist together? Because particularly in large complex organisations, if you put your growth businesses or your new startups or your innovation initiatives, if you put them through the same rigour that you put a business that's been around for 100 years, then not surprisingly your growth businesses are going to fail. And they're going to fail because they need to move quite quickly. They need to test and learn. They're going into new markets, new products, new customer bases. Mm. And by definition, you want them to test boundaries. And if they're testing boundaries, they're going to be bumping up against policies and procedures that have been around for a long time. So while you have one, I do think it's appropriate to have one leadership team overseeing all parts of the business. I also think it's really important for that leadership team to have had an explicit conversation and agreement and alignment on all of the policies and procedures that are going to govern how the growth business operates. Is there a specific role for the board to play in governance of growth or is it really a management challenge? No, no, I think there's a specific role for the board to play in in the governance of growth, but there's also a role for the board to play in almost driving the leadership team or encouraging the leadership team to look for growth. Mm. So in my experience, the role of the board or the board is most effective in a growth environment where they are in equal parts, encouraging and challenging and questioning the speed, the pace, those boundaries, Mm -hmm. but at the same time still governing, if you like, keeping an eye on the level to which you're taking risks and you're moving outside or testing what might have been agreed. So I I think it's really important that the board is on the journey. Where, Where I've seen it go awry, though, is if, again, if the growth businesses are subjected to exactly the same level of board inspection as the core existing businesses, then the growth businesses won't flourish because they'll be spending all their time reporting to the board, which is not really what you want a growth business to be. One thing to think about, John, is that if you think about a growth business, invariably it's either looking to disrupt your existing business, disrupt a competitor or disrupt another adjacency, or you're looking to break into something entirely new. So if you're doing any and all of those things, you need to think about who are the competitor set that you're you're up against. And chances are it's different to the competitor set that your core business is up against. And so you do need to operate and behave and think like the the newest competitors in those markets, not necessarily your core business, which is probably an incumbent in that business. Mm. Another part of a good innovation system or growth system is often venturing partnerships, how we might connect to a broader ecosystem to learn and possibly grow together. Uh, You had to do a Telstra Ventures yes. back in the day. So you've probably got some points of view on how to do that well. Yeah, I do. Well, well I think you're right. I had a lot to do with Telstra Ventures over, mm. my, over my time there and then also was involved in M&A. And I, mm. and I think of it as a spectrum and it's everything from really early stage engagement with startups, innovating your own startups, and, and that can involve things like accelerators, for mm-hmm. example, through to things like venturing. And, and obviously, Telstra Ventures was investing in a certain part of the life cycle and, and other venture firms invest in different parts, mm-hmm. but anything, you know, Series A, B and onward through to full M&A. And as you said, it can, that whether that's partnerships, joint ventures, there's a, whole, there's a whole spectrum that you can undertake. I do think it's important to look at, at the entire spectrum. But before you even get into a question around 
venturing and partnerships or M&A, you need to have had the discussion around what is the problem that we're seeking to solve. So once you're clear about the problem you're seeking to solve, the reason why you and your organisation or your team is going to be better than the existing players or better than the incumbents, when you're really clear about the customer unmet need that you're solving for and you're really clear about the economic model, then you can get into a conversation about how do we actually go about executing this. If there's product market fit for your particular venture or your particular idea, then you can get into a conversation about do we partner with someone, do we take a stake in someone, should we buy a company? And again, there's there's a whole spectrum. You know, one observation that I would make for companies looking at going into the venturing space in particular, so where you're looking to engage with startups, a number of companies have launched accelerators or moved into the accelerator space. That's a really fabulous way to expose your company to lots of different mm. ideas and, and lots of fabulous entrepreneurs. It can be really challenging mm. for startups to engage with corporates and even you know, in, when you get into the venturing world where you're investing in companies that might be Series A, Series B, so they're typically sometimes pre-revenue but typically revenue generating, even those companies will struggle to have the scale and the maturity to engage with corporates, certainly Australian corporates, on a scale that the Australian corporates are typically used to. So you do need to have, I think, a buffer or a filter in between the corporate and the startup to help productize whatever their business is for the corporate. Mm. If you think you can just put the two together and all of a sudden your big, large corporate business yeah. is going to be able to engage with this startup, you'll either get incredibly frustrated as the corporate or you'll blow the startup up. And so that's where I think a lot of people have very high expectations of how they can bridge that relationship, but it does take quite a bit of work to mm. deliver. I'm glad you raised accelerators. I think they're an amazing part of your arsenal, but they're not the solution in their own right. And they can often too much expectations can be placed yeah. on an accelerator to find the next magic silver bullet for yeah. you as opposed to just accelerating your, your growth strategy and working at getting you some more learnings potentially along the way. Yeah. I think hackathons are kind of a similar thing in some ways. People think we'll do a hack and some ideas will merge, we'll invest in those and it'll save the business yeah. as opposed to thinking, well, how might a hackathon advance our innovation strategy, yeah. help advance our culture, get things learning? How have you used things like hacks and yeah. other things in, in Centre Group, for example, to do that? Yeah, well, I think, as you've mentioned, there's various different ways you can do the ideation or generate mm. the ideas. Mm. Um, we've used hackathons in, predominantly internally because yeah. we've just got a wealth of innovation and entrepreneurship within the organisation. So we've really used hacks as a way to actually harness that. And we've used hackathons internally around very specific problems. Right. Here's a customer challenge, here's a friction that we know about, here's an internal or a process that frustrates people, and we've used that as the way to unlock ideas. You can certainly go external. If you've exhausted all of your internal ideas, by all means go external. I'd be surprised, I think organisations probably could do a little bit more work around unlocking the power of innovation within their own mm. organisations. But certainly I know a number of organisations who've run accelerators, who've gone external, and I think it's a fantastic way to ideate and to unlock really interesting thinking. But I'm not sure that there's a lot of examples where people, as you say, have found that nugget and mm. said, that's something that we're going to latch onto and that'll be the next growth vector mm. for us. But they play an important role in what I'd call an ecosystem of idea generation, the creation of a really big funnel of ideas that you can then utilise. But I wouldn't leap straight to external 
accelerators before really making sure you're also harnessing the value of the people that you've got and the talent that you've already got. You're an amazing leader. I've had the chance to work for you and um, it was a a great period for me with you. What are the specific skills, capabilities, cultural elements that leaders require to steer this? Because it's a new domain, I think, for many leaders. It's quite different than... It's really different. It's really different. And I I think people may underestimate the differences. And I've found in the organisations that I've engaged with, there's two aspects to it. One is... Often people are attracted to talent that works in this space because you've got different thinking. Mm. They love your different Mm. ideas. They love that you've had exposure to different ways of working. They love that you're going to challenge things pretty much until you get in and start doing those things. (laughs) And then once you start doing those things, it becomes very real that you are injecting different thinking, you are injecting different ideas about how to work, and you are questioning um, the status quo. I guess is the best way to describe it. So when I say there's two roles of leadership in this space, one is amongst your peers. So when you when you enter in these, these organisations that have been very good at doing things for a long time and you're tasked with finding ways to do things differently, the first challenge is stakeholder relationship, bringing your peers, both at an executive level and, a, and the board level, on that journey. And that can ebb and flow mm. depending on what's happening with the core business. And when I say that's critically important, it's critically important because the bulk of the leadership typically is used to leading and managing the core. They're not used to being ambidextrous leaders. So while leading a growth business or a portfolio of growth businesses, at the same time, you really do need to work with your colleagues so that everybody is responsible for the core and the growth businesses. As I said before, it's not seen as two completely separate parts of the business. So there's that element of working and learning with your peers as a leader. But the second component is leading and managing people who do this themselves. Mm. You know, people who come from, um, they've been founders, they're really entrepreneurial, they're used to moving really quickly. They would probably rather be in a startup, but for the capital that Mm. they need. Um, So they look at large corporates and they say, you've got capital, you've got strategic assets. I'd like a part of that. Managing those individuals who are used to going quickly used to making their own decisions and used to failing fast, managing them in an environment that requires reporting, results, there's a cadence, et cetera. In a way, as a leader, you're bridging that gap between those individuals and the leadership of the company that you work for. At times, it can be challenging because you have to be their greatest advocate internally, but you also sometimes have to guide them and you have to encourage them and remind them that we're here to deliver results. Um, It's not just about the thrill of the chase of the opportunity and we have accountability to stakeholders, to shareholders, to the board, to deliver what we said we were going to deliver. And so there is that constant balance between just letting things flourish, but remembering that you've got to be accountable for delivering results. Mm. The final question then sort of flowing from that is, Results matter, right? This isn't, yeah. innovation isn't just the fun, flowery, white sticky note yeah. stuff. It's actually about a system that delivers outcomes. What are your thoughts on measuring innovation, what we call innovation accounting, from the ideas through to the outcomes? They're, they're slightly different metrics yeah. or quite different metrics to classic EBITDA or return on capital. They're longer cycle times yeah. and other things. How do you think yeah. about that? Well, actually, one thing we haven't explicitly talked about that I should have mentioned earlier was what is innovation? So how do you actually even define innovation? Because we've talked about it a lot and... When you talk to organisations about innovation, often they'll say, oh, we need to be more innovative. You go, okay, well, 
talk me through that. What does that actually mean to you? And so I, I like to think about innovation in the three buckets of everyday innovation, incremental innovation, and breakout innovation. They're just labels yep. that I've put on it. But the everyday one is most important because, as I said earlier, people are inherently innovative. People mm. have ideas. They're mm. creative. And by and large, people want to do well in their jobs. And so every day there's examples where fabulous people at all levels think we could do this differently or if we just tweaked that or I've got this idea to move this, that to me is everyday innovation. And so to your question, in the system of innovation, it's really important to find ways to encourage that. And here at Centre Group, we talk a lot about tracking, sharing and celebrating nice. innovation. So, you know, the metric, we want to track it. We just want to know. Give us an example. Tell us about a time when you innovated something, mm. you changed a way of working, you delivered something different for a client or a customer. That's innovation. Mm. But organisations that are quite innovative don't think of that as yeah. innovation. They think of that as just the way that they do business every day. So that's how I think about everyday innovation. Incremental innovation is really when you, you look to your existing client base, but you, you change the product or you change the um, offering slightly, you change the way you engage with them. You might bring in a new customer base, but typically it's adjacent to what you're doing today. Mm. And those uh, initiatives or opportunities tend to be relatively easy to identify once you're clear on what your strategic assets are and should be kept quite close to mm. your existing business because they, by definition, they should really leverage the business yeah. that you're in today. Um, it's really when you get to breakout innovation that we're starting to talk about new markets, new products, new client bases, and they, by definition, tend to be a little bit further away from your business today. They still need to have a strategic link, of course, but they might be a little bit further away. For breakout innovation, I think it's really important that the executive team and the board are aligned on to your point around what success looks like, yeah. what are the metrics that we're going to track. And I've learned from experience that if you apply the same metrics to these businesses as you do to your existing core products, you will fail. You will set up for failure. And so it's really important to be clear about what success looks like. And, and often for these early stage businesses, particularly if it's a, an opportunity or an initiative that engages with customers, it might be as simple as engagement metrics. You know, if it's an app, how many times has it been downloaded? You know, how often are customers visiting the app? There'll be perhaps SaaS-based metrics that yep. you want to track. I'm always reluctant to really go to monetization and financial metrics. Yep. I mean, I say in the first year, you just shouldn't be thinking about that, depending on the business, whether it's the second year, third year, fourth year, fifth year, depending on what it is that you're actually looking at. But you do need to have a conversation about how much capital are we prepared to invest or how much capital are we going to need mm. to get to the point of monetization? Or is this an opportunity where actually it's not an economic driver, it's a customer acquisition driver, or it's a referred driver, or it's a stickiness driver? If you haven't had those conversations explicitly, that's when you get real tension between teams, between the executive and the board. And one thing that we've employed here recently that's worked really well is... Um, when we speak to executives about new opportunities, we have a really simple sliding scale, you know, from one to 10. For you, does success mean that this opportunity has to be profitable? Does it have to generate revenue? Does it have to bring in new clients? And they can move one to 10. Just that really has helped us get alignment, understand where the different perspectives are, and then surface perspectives so you can have a real conversation about success before you start, not 
a year, two years, three years in where someone says, but why is this not profitable? So yeah. what well, was never going to be profitable in the first two years. So we really prefer to have those conversations up front rather That's than That's brilliant. Really simple, heuristic sort of way to do it up front. Just a really simple visual representation yeah. of people's expectations to check in on alignment. That was fantastic. Thank you so much. Pleasure. That's it for this episode of The Corporate Innovator. As always, thanks for listening. And if you're loving the episodes, be sure to tell your friends or leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. If you've got any thoughts, questions or guest ideas for the show, you can email me at hi at ie.com.au. See you next time.